I want to first invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 20 to grab your book Bible. We're unplugged, right, during this series. So I invite you to turn off your phone and to open up your actual Bible in, uh, in book form, at least. Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to be in verse 8. Now, these three weeks are an invitation. It's an invitation to receive and to live out a form of life that God offers, yet many Christians don't seem to receive. And so I want to invite you to do this. Now, we get caught up often in what we're going to talk about, thinking about the legalistic side of it, the do's and the don'ts that are involved. I want us to pull back from that and relook at what God is suggesting, but even more. I want you to see the character of God that's involved in this. Who is God? And then, what is he offering in this? So, Exodus chapter 20, I hope you're there by now. We're going to read chapter 8 and on. Here's what it says, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day and treat it as holy. Six days you may work and do all your tasks, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work on it. Not you, not your sons or daughters, your male or female servants, your animals or the immigrant who is living with you. Because the Lord made the heavens and earth, the sea and everything that is in them in six days, but rested on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and made it holy. Now, already for some of you, there's immediate pushback in your heart, thinking about the Sabbath. It's, hey, come on, Tom, we're, this is modern day Christianity, right? Or what really does that mean? What, what is work? What's not work? Let me remind you, we're stepping back and we're looking at who God is and the character of God that shows up in that. Now, we've got to do a little contextual work because we can't understand what is being written and shared here with the Israelites because they're being given the law, they're being given the Ten Commandments. We can't understand this without looking at the context of the Exodus. Do you remember the Exodus? If not, let me give you a brief overview. That If you remember, Joseph ended up in Egypt. And he ended up being a servant in Egypt and God blessed him and blessed his work. And eventually he went all the way to second in command to Pharaoh in the whole kingdom. There was a great famine that came and it was Joseph that gave direction for the whole land to stockpile during the bad years and they would have plenty during the good years. And they sold off what they stored and people came from all over. Eventually, the people who would be known as the Israelites ended up in Egypt and they flourished and they lived there and they were blessed. Well, Pharaoh passed away and a new Pharaoh rose up who didn't know Joseph, didn't know the story, didn't care. He just looked and said, wow, there's a lot of Israelites. And if we just kind of let them keep multiplying and being blessed, then one day, one day it's not going to end up so good for us. And so they started to put them to work. They started to put parameters on them. Eventually, these parameters led to them living a life as slaves, building, building and building for Pharaoh. Hold your spot in Exodus. Let me read to you what we're, what we're talking about 
back in Exodus chapter 1. This is what happens. As they multiplied, as a result, the Egyptians put four men of, of forged group gangs over the Israelites to harass them with hard work. They had them build storage cities in Pithom and Ramses for Pharaoh. Skip ahead to verse 13 in chapter 1. So the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites. They made their lives miserable, get this, with hard labor, making mortar and bricks, doing field work, and by forcing them to do all kinds of other cruel work. So this is their life to build now for Pharaoh. So when this exodus occurs, when God comes and saves his people and delivers them from Pharaoh, from being slaves, and they are now free, and they are taken, and you'll remember they end up in the wilderness, headed to the promised land, and God then gives them what we just read, the law or the uh, Ten Commandments. What he is giving them is new life. God is actually revealing in this who he is, his character, and he is saying, I am different than your days as slaves to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was your leader, Pharaoh, but I am different than him. And so we get these commandments. You might remember the first commandment. It says this, you must have no other gods before me. No other gods is what he's declaring right away to them. This was very different than Egypt, who had many, many gods that were served. And we have to think that eventually the Israelites were drawn to worshiping those, or at least surrendering towards those, because that was a life that was forced upon them by Pharaoh. You have no other gods before me. The second commandment is similar. Do not make an idol. Don't bow down to that idol. God is saying, look, I am different. I'm different than what you knew back in Egypt. Those gods who were in idol form, who you had to worship that, that's not who I am. I am the spirit God, the mobile God, the God who is with you. And so you don't need those type of things. That's not what I'm all about. What we're learning here is God is different than what you know up till now. That's what the message of the law is to the Israelites. This is who I am. This is my character. So let's see, what is he comparing himself to here? Who are these gods? Well, these gods for Pharaoh were the Egyptian gods who Pharaoh worshiped. And what we know is they are gods that are defined by consumption. They are defined by building the empire, building it up. We find that the task of the Israelites is to build brick and mortar. And so that's what they had to do day in and day out. We found in that first passage that they were building supply cities because there was more and more being built by Pharaoh in the demand of these gods that he needed to satisfy. And so cities were built, storehouses were built, and those were filled up the best they could. And the Israelites were right in the middle of this. This way of living, 
that was pushed by the Egyptian gods onto Pharaoh, who bought in full tilt and pushed it on his people, as well as the Israelites, is defined by more, 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 at all cost. No matter what, more, more, more. I want to invite you to flip over to Exodus chapter 5. And we're going to get a glimpse of this more and more that Pharaoh demanded upon his people. Exodus chapter 5, you're already there in chapter 20. Just go back a few pages and you'll be in Exodus chapter 5. Moses had come and said, let my people go into the wilderness and worship God. And Pharaoh's like, I'm not going to do that. You crazy? They got work to do. They got to do more and more and more. We are defined by consumption and commodity. And I need these people. Listen to this interaction as Pharaoh, frustrated and angry that Moses is asking to let the people go worship. He has this interaction here where he then takes away their straw to build bricks. Why are you making the people slack off from their work? Do the hard work yourselves. This is Pharaoh talking. Yet you want to let them stop their hard work? He tells his slave masters, don't supply the people with straw. They need to make bricks like they did before. Let them go out and gather the straw for themselves. But still make sure that they produce the same number of bricks as they made before. Make the men's work so hard that it's all they can do. They got no time to go worship. They got to make bricks. Pharaoh says, I'm not giving you straw anymore. Go and get straw on your own, whatever you, wherever you can find it. But your work won't be reduced at all. Verse 13, make sure you make the same daily quota as when you had the straw. Now they have to find it. Down one more verse. Why didn't you produce the same number of bricks yesterday and today as you did before? They respond, no straw was supplied to your servants. Yet they say, make bricks. How does Pharaoh interpret that? Verse 17, you are lazy bums. Nothing but lazy bums. That is why you say, let us go and offer sacrifices to the Lord. Go and get back to work. No straw will be given to you, but you still need to make the same number of bricks. And to the slave masters, he says, don't reduce their daily quota of bricks. And it's relentless over and over. This is what life with Pharaoh looks like. This is what life from a Pharaoh who is surrendered to the Egyptian gods looks like. Consumption, commodity, producing more, more, more. It never ends. There's never rest. And the Israelites, they have no choice but to produce. This is the socioeconomic system that they are thrust into, that they are slaves to, and Pharaoh dictates the parameters. And they have to just live it out. This is what's thrust in front of them. So now you have to understand, into the system of consumption comes the God of rest, just bursting in. And he's different. God produces, we actually find that 
in Genesis chapter 2, if you want to flip back and take a look at that, Genesis chapter 2, on verse 2, it says, On the sixth day, God completed all the work that he had done. So God is a God of work, a God of producing. That's what we find them. He completes, or really, more correctly, in the Hebrew, the word means he ceased, he stopped, he took a break. He's different. Why? Well, the second half of that verse tells us, and on the seventh day, God rested from all the work he had done. God ceases. He stops. He's not resting, but, he's not resting because there's nothing else to do. We find there's lots to do, as we see in the book of Genesis. He's resting because he deems it important. It's important to stop. It's in who he is to stop and to have a day that's set apart, that's different. It's in his character. And so it would make sense that what he is doing here is he is offering that to his people. The God of rest invades. And the first thing he wants to do is he wants to deliver them from this endless production. He wants to say, look, there's a new reality where a life of an Israelite is no longer compelled or it's defined by endless production. That's good news for them. The first two commandments tell us this, that God is not like the other gods. He's a spirit God, a mobile God, a God who is with his people. Not a God who just endlessly demands Commodity, production, more, more, and more. God's people are not commodities to be used for endless production. That is what God says in this simple thing when he says, and I rested. I rested. And so then when we get the law and he puts in as the fourth commandment that his people would rest, this is a gift, an invitation given to them, to say you have been slaves, you've had no choice in the matter, but I invite you to stop, to cease, to rest. That's powerful. So he delivers production, and then he offers them a new way of life, a new way to look at things, a new way to live. Remember the Sabbath and treat it as holy. That is holy, the word holy means to set apart. I'm going to set apart this day, this day for rest, this day for ceasing, this day to not do what I was doing those other days. This day is not for commodity, consumption, production, more, more, more. This day is not for that. I get to cease. I get to rest. I get to be renewed on this day. This is the character of God being offered to his people in the form of rest. No rest was set in Egypt. There was no day set apart for rest. There wasn't much an hour set apart for rest. But now resting, ceasing would mark the people of God. It would define the people of God that they would be a people who rested. 
Much like we think of Chick-fil-A and we think of, oh, they're closed on Sunday. It's kind of a defining mark. God is saying, my people will be a people who rest, who understand that endless production is not my value. It's not what I'm all about. The invitation of God to the Israelites is to resist striving for endless production and endless gain and endless commodity, but to actually find rest in God. And that's what he gives them. And that's what he asks of them. And though we look at it often in commandment form, God is offering beautiful life in this rest. Something up till now they had not experienced. Now it would make sense that it might be hard at times. They might return to that thinking. They might think, it's all I know. It's how we grew up. It's how we lived. And God would need to remind them constantly, that's not who I am. And that's not the life I offer you and invite you into. That is the context for us to understand this passage in Exodus chapter 20. But let's ask another question. Let's ask the question of ourself. Because when we look ourselves today, we look at this, these commandments and we ask, how do they connect with me? How does this concept of the God of rest apply to me? Let me share with you those first two commandments I read before. And can I put also a New Testament parallel onto this so that we understand the character found in the commandments is still the character of God today. The first commandment, do you remember? You must have no gods before me. Jesus said it this way, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, look, it's me. There's no other gods. There's no other way. It's me, it's the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. It is this, period, is the way. We can't have other, any other gods before him. Don't make an idol. Don't bow down to it was the second command. The Gospel of Matthew, it said this way, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You can't serve God and wealth. What's he saying here? When we strive for endless production and gain and commodity and consumption, and that's our master, there's no way to have God as our master at the same time. Why? Why doesn't that match up? Because God has revealed to us that he is not the God of commodity. That is not the core of his character. That he works hard at the task that's before him and then he sets aside the time of rest and renewal and worship. That's what God teaches us. That there is more life in that than there is in endless production. So who are these other gods before us? What do they look like for us? Well, they're materialism, right? There is this strive and gain to have something more, to have our hands on items. It, it, all you have to do is watch a show on regular TV with regular commercials. Do you remember those, right? And you can see the endless marketing schemes that are telling you 
you're not complete unless you have this. And you don't need this. And once you get this, then you're going to need this. You're going to need the whole collection of this, right? Why? Because they understand we're wired this way. That the God of materialism, to have something tangible before us that we can hold, that we can look at, that we can buy, and that we can maybe someday sell, that is a God that's before us. That if we're not careful, we can bow down to it. The endless need to gain, to have more. This idea that new, new, new is so important. And that if I don't have new, then what I have old is like, uh -huh, I don't know. Like we look in our closet, I got, I got nothing to wear. And our closet's full of clothes. We're often thinking the endless need to gain more or to gain new. We even see this find its way into our church settings sometimes. Dr. Mike Tapper recently did a study uh, that was put forward and actually picked up by Christianity Today on modern Christian worship. And his main focus was the time frame from when a song is written to when it is being actively done in churches to when it goes out and, and people are no longer singing it. And 20 to 25 years ago, that gap was fairly wide and now that gap is measured in just a couple or three months because that idea to gain in something new finds its way in as well. And if we're not careful, we can bow to that God, the God of more, 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 of not being satisfied with what we have, but the need for more. Now I admit, the Braves just won the World Series, and I'm ecstatic, as you know, as a lifelong Braves fan. But it only took a short period of time to where I wanted to ask the question, will they win again next year? What are we doing to build this team for next year, right? Because that's how we're wired, more, more, and more. Those are the gods before us, just like the Israelites. If we choose this, we have no choice but to produce. If we choose these gods, you have no choice but to produce. You've gotta make sure your bathroom is up to date. Your kitchen is remodeled. You've got to make sure, right? You've got to make sure that you're getting up that corporate ladder. You're in the right place that society says you should be in by now. You need to have the right rank, the right income, the right type of house, the neighborhood, all these type of things. If we choose this, we have no choice but to produce. Some of you know this pressure. You're feeling it. Some of you have sat and I've prayed with, and the underlining thing is that you're struggling with bowing to some of these gods of commodity and of more. Can I tell you today, into this system, our system of consumption, comes the God of rest. Comes the God of rest. Is that good news? For you today? Do you need to hear that today? Right in our system of consumption, right within our system of commodity, right within our system of gain and of more, 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 comes the God of rest, inviting, offering you, extending to us to say, I have this 
for you. To first, just like the Israelites, to deliver you from production. A new reality where the life of the follower of Jesus is no longer compelled or dictated by endless production. That's not the character of Christ. It's not the character of God. The life Jesus offers, he tells us, is not like the system of more, more, and more of any of any of those gods. Christians are not commodities to be used for endless gain. Praise the Lord. He wants to deliver you from that system. If you're so tied to it, you've gotten so locked into it, or you've so bought into it, he wants to deliver you. Why? Because he is the God of rest. The God of rest. The God who's willing to cease and to stop, not because the work is all done and there's nothing else to do, but because he sees it as important and valuable to who he is and who he's designed us to be. And then he wants to offer you a new way of life. Remember the Sabbath and treat it as holy. Remember what that means? To set it apart. To set it apart. That's all the word holy means. That you will set it apart. Something different than the other six days. Not this simply, hey, I'm going to rush to church, right? But I'm going to take time to stop. To cease. To find rest. To find worship. We're going to talk next week about what does worship look like when we are at rest or when we've ceased Exodus 20 teaches us this in command form, but again, we often manipulate the command and think legalistically. My invitation is that you would look at this command within the lens of the character and the love of God that he's extending to you. And then we actually find Jesus picks up on this idea in Matthew chapter 11. If you want to look at that, you can turn quickly. If not, just remember Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, when Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. I think we think of this passage sometimes when something bad happens and we're, we're walking through a tough time. But in light of what we've discussed today, in an endless system of production, commodity, more and more and more that we often bow ourselves to, Jesus steps in and says, I'm the one that wants to offer a life, a life of rest, a life that that burden is pretty light. I'm offering life that looks different because I'm not the savior of commodity and consumption and gain and more and more and more. The invitation of Jesus is to resist the striving for endless production, endless gain, and endless commodity. He wants to offer you something different, different life. Can I just ask you as we close, 
Is that appealing to you? Is the idea of ceasing and resting and setting a day apart, is that appealing to you? That you might find rest, connection, but even more, a transformed life. Something I think many, many Christians are just simply missing. Some just don't know, and some of us have just rejected it outright. But the loving invitation of God, the invitation of Christ, is rest. We'll talk more about this in the next couple of weeks. Let's pray. Father, help us first to understand that you are a God of rest who invites us into rest. To understand that the badge of honor of 24-7 is not from you. You didn't design it or create it. In fact, you actually are repulsed by it, Lord. You actually say, no, 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 no. That sucks life away. I am offering something beautiful and better. Something called rest and ceasing and Sabbath. So Lord, would we hear that? Would you speak to our hearts? Would at very least today, would those listening say, I am, I am intrigued. I want that. I don't have that. I'm bought into endless gain and endless commodity and endless consumption and go, go, go and more, more, more. I need rest. Your God is defined by. His character is ceasing. It's rest. And like any great, any great leader you might have ever been in front of, they want to teach you something on how this works. Let God, let Christ teach you. Lord, help us to receive that, to receive what you have to offer in the next weeks as we learn more and more. We pray in your son's name. Amen.